scripture reading is from the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, verses 1 through 9. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Father, Lord God, thank you so much for the privilege of coming together as a body of believers this morning. Father, I pray that we never take that for granted. Lord, this morning as we open up your word, Father, I pray that you would transform us in the depths of our soul so that we look more and more and more like you. Lord, so that we truly have pure hearts and we truly long to make peace and we truly long to give mercy. And Father, I pray for this one that would open your word and preach. Father, that you would, you would be glorified in you alone. That you would take this broken vessel and pour out good, clean, living water for those that you love. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again. It is, it is really good to be with you. Um, those of you that are here, those of you that are online, I'm glad you're here with us. It's no accident. Uh, I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, so uh, if you're here, it's because God has you here. Might not have, you might not have thought that, but that doesn't make it any less true, right? We're in this, uh, this series in the, called The Heart of the Matters. We look through the, the Sermon on the Mount. We're starting it off with the Beatitudes. Uh, we opened that up a couple of weeks ago with saying that the first three of the Beatitudes really are Beatitudes of the heart, uh, the transformations of our heart and our attitude, our, our character qualities, the character qualities of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then the, the fourth one that Nathan opened up last week where he, he really took us deep into the Word of God and a hunger and thirst after righteousness and showed how that reveals the heart of Jesus Christ in us and, and, and for Christ. Uh, and then flowing out of that hunger and thirst for righteousness, we come to these next three. And these next three are connected to the first three, uh, number, uh, number five, uh, or number, number, the first one and the, the, the fifth one are connected, the second one and the sixth and the third one and the seventh. They're kind of connected, and I'll show you that in a minute how that comes together. But what's interesting is that these, these three, uh, being merciful, being pure in heart, uh, being peacemakers, those are beatitudes of action. 
So the first three were beatitudes of heart, character, virtues, if you will. These next three are beatitudes of action. So they're, they're a little different. They're, they're putting on display the love of Jesus Christ in your life. I like to walk through Annapolis and go down all the little the side streets downtown. Uh, I like to stop and look in the windows. Um, not really. I like to bolt right past them. Sandy likes to stop and look in the windows. And so I stop and look at the windows. If you've ever stopped and looked in the display windows of these stores, you'll, you'll see them change periodically with the seasons, right? So uh, a few months ago, they were heading towards um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and, and, and now they're heading towards Valentine's Day, and, uh, and then they'll change again. So if you look in a, uh, an antique store, in the, the window of the antique store, you've got antiques, right? Or there's the hat store that has all the different hats, uh, or the wine store, or the cigar shop, or, or, or whatever it is, or the Christmas ornament shop. There's all these different display windows to tell you what's going on inside the store. If 2022 was a store on Main Street in Annapolis, what would be in the display window? A whole lot of masks and a whole lot of chaos. If your heart was a store on Main Street, what would be in the display window? If your heart was a display or a store on Main Street, what would be in the display window? That's a scary thought, isn't it? It is for me. And yet, that's where Jesus takes us here. He's showing us this is what needs to be in the display window of your heart for the world to see who I am. In John 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, they will know you are Christians by what? By your love, by your love. And love isn't, as we've said before, love isn't just a feeling. Love is action. Love, love is action, not just a feeling. So we look at these three, and what we see are beatitudes of, of action. One thing that would be in the, in the display window of a, the heart of a disciple would be mercy. And mercy also is not just a, a feeling. Mercy isn't just a feeling of mercy. It's not just something that Gomer Powell would have said, mercy, mercy, mercy. It's not, that's not what mercy is. Mercy is, is action. It's taking the compassionate heart and putting it into action on behalf of someone else that reveals the love of Jesus Christ in you. Mercy is related to that first beatitude that we saw in verse, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because someone that is poor in spirit, that is someone that recognizes their sin, and knows they have a desperate need for Jesus Christ, they know also that they received mercy from Christ. And the one that has received mercy from Christ then is quick to turn around and give mercy to others. Spiritual mercy and, and physical mercy both. And we'll open those up in just a moment. Our deep need through Jesus reveals who we are. Uh, the, the problem is that, that most, most non-Christians... And if you hear this this morning, you'll know this is true. Um, most non-Christians, they don't see a lot of mercy in a whole lot of Christians. Most non-Christians would say to you, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of mercy in friends of mine that are Christians. They just don't. And I can say that the same thing. As, as Christians, we... We don't do a very good job of, of showing mercy because we're so self-consumed with ourselves. And that's only growing. 
when we're, everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. When we worship ourselves first and foremost above Christ and above, above who he is, uh, then mercy goes by the wayside. When we worship Christ alone, then mercy is a natural outflow of that. But we don't often look like that, that new person. Mercy is, some, is coming alongside other people and filling in their brokenness. We're all broken, we just don't all know it. It goes back to that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones that know they're broken. Whether it's physical brokenness, uh, brokenness of poverty or wealth, uh, brokenness that is spiritual, emotional brokenness, mental brokenness, uh, relational brokenness, mercy comes alongside that individual that's broken right alongside them and sits with them in their mess and does everything they can within their power to bring that person out of that brokenness and help them to live in a new and different way in Christ. Mercy goes to people that are, that are hurting. Mercy sees the person, sees their soul and sees their need. Two kind of mercy we wanna focus on in this part of this sermon, physical and spiritual. This, this spiritual mercy a uh, merciful, merciful person uh, no longer has a judgmental heart, a critical heart, a critical mind, uh, a critical tongue. Love and mercy of Jesus has totally transformed who they are and how they love. Went to a friend of mine uh, a few years ago um, and a mutual friend of ours had just gotten out of prison. Uh, and I, I went to this, this friend and, and uh, I said, hey, Josiah has... Josiah got out of prison this morning. Isn't that awesome? And uh, he looked at me with a shocked expression, and he said, Josiah who? I said, well, Josiah Jackson. And his face went white, and tears began to fill his eyes. He said, I didn't know Josiah was in prison. What happened? And I told him, I said, Josiah was, he pleaded guilty to embezzlement uh, two years ago and spent two years in prison, and he just got out. And so, Today, his wife picked him up and he's home with his children tonight for the first time in two years. And my friend began to weep with tears of sorrow for Josiah's children and for Josiah's wife and for Josiah himself. It's a heart of mercy, spiritual mercy. And what makes it all the more powerful is that Josiah had made this man's life miserable. He had torn this man to shreds, publicly and privately, wrongly so. And this man's life had been made miserable by Josiah. But here he was holding nothing against this former enemy. But with tears of mercy, he's pleading to God to restore Josiah's relationship with his wife and his children. Spiritual mercy forgives and does not hold one sin against them. Spiritual mercy doesn't overlook sin. Sometimes we confuse mercy and, um, and overlooking sin or dismissing sin. They're not the same thing. My friends, Jesus doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't dismiss sin. He deals with sin. Sin is so serious that he deals with it with his own life. Sin costs Jesus his life, and sin costs the life of every person that doesn't believe in Christ. Sin is not something to be overlooked or dismissed. Sin is something to be dealt with. 
But for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, sin is also something to be forgiven. So my friend forgave Josiah and there was a relationship uh, that was rebuilt, not just for Josiah and his wife and his children, but between my friend and, and Josiah. God calls us to a, a spiritual mercy. There's also a physical mercy. Uh, we don't have to go far in scripture. In, in fact, you can see it from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, that God has a, a special deep heart, a special love and mercy, heart of mercy for the oppressed and the poor, for the alien and for the foreigner in our land, for the orphan and for the widow. God has a special heart for those individuals. And he calls us likewise to have a special heart for those individuals. There's a need for physical mercy. I was talking with a, a woman recently and she was telling me her story She's a believer in Jesus Christ, but she said that there was a time in her life when, uh, when she was struggling with alcoholism, uh, and she didn't have a job, didn't know what she was going to do for employment, how she was going to make ends meet. She had a ninth grade education, so there weren't a lot of opportunities available to her. She said, somebody came alongside me and offered me a job. He took a chance on me. And he mentored me. So today, I'm still involved in my AA meetings. And I own my own business. And I've got a, a financial interest in some of that gentleman's other businesses. That's mercy, my friends. That's changing not just that woman's life, but the life, lives of her children and the generations after that. Mercy changes generations of lives. A church I was involved with uh, in Charlotte had another, another way of, of, of looking at that and, and, and taking care of those kind of needs. There's a, listen, there's a part of our, of our culture that, well, because of, of where they are in generational uh, poverty, they don't have connections that you might have or that I might have. So when they need a job, they don't know to call you know, their friend Luke or John that owns a, owns a business and might, might have a place that they can work. They don't, they don't have those connections. So what we would do is, is we call it sponsoring. We would make those connections for them. You know, we've got a guy named Jimmy here that, that needs a job. And, and, and Jimmy, you know, might, might have graduated high school, but he probably hadn't. Um, he's probably, he probably doesn't have a lot of skills. And he doesn't, he's not employable for many people and he has zero connections. But if I know Luke over here is expanding his business, then I can make a connection between Jimmy and Luke. I can say, Luke, I, wanna, I want you to meet Jimmy. Jimmy, I want you to meet Luke. And then suddenly Jimmy's got a new lease on life and it's not just Jimmy that has a job and is able to pull, pull out of poverty, but his children and his children's children. It's generational transformation. My friends, that's, that's physical acts of mercy. What else could you do? You know, if you, you don't want to do that, well, I encourage every one of you to do that. But, but let, what, what else can you do? Well, there's winter relief coming up here at the end of the month. You want to know more about winter relief and how to get plugged into that? I encourage you to see Lori Nelson, see Tom Bell, uh, see Nathan Boyette. He can plug in. Uh, talk to any of our deacons. They've got awesome opportunities for you to be engaged in works of mercy in our community. You've got extra coats and, 
and scarves and, and gloves at home. There's two boxes, big cardboard boxes under the portico over here. Uh, if you don't know where that is, see me or somebody else afterwards. We can point you to it. Fill those things up with, with new or light new coats and scarves and gloves so that those that are freezing outside will have something more to wear. You want to, you know, maybe you don't have an extra coat, rake your neighbor's lawn. One day I came home from church and my neighbor had cut my grass. Well, I'd rather my neighbor have been in church with me, but the thing is, it was a huge expression of love and mercy for this neighbor towards me. It was an expression of his friendship towards me. And I miss, Andy, if you're, if you're listening this morning, I miss our driveway conversations. Uh, I miss your, your grass cutting abilities too. Uh, you know, those are works of mercy. It's going out and buying someone groceries when they can't get out or shoveling the snow that we've had way too much of lately. Works of mercy. Those works of mercy display the love of Jesus Christ. That's what's in the display window of your heart when you're doing these works of mercy for others that are around you and me. Sociologist and historian uh, Rodney Stark uh, in his book speaks of the, uh, the growth of Christianity uh, in, in early Rome. The Roman Empire, first, second, third, fourth centuries. Plagues were ravishing one after another after another, the cities and, and people that were, that were doctors, that were, um, that were wealthy, that were upper middle class, they fled the cities for their own protection. You know who ran to the cities? It was the Christians. The plagues were so bad that when someone got sick, their families would throw them out on the street to die on their own. The bodies were piling up in the streets and the Christians stayed ministering to their neighbors, whether their neighbors were Christians or not. And the church of Jesus Christ grew. Why? Because the love of God was on display for everybody to see. And that wasn't something that just happened in the first few centuries. When Katrina ravished New Orleans several years ago, some of the first to flood into New Orleans were Christians from, from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, all across the southern part of the United States and beyond, Christians flooded to New Orleans, even as others were leaving New Orleans. Christians got there before government entities got there to take care of people. And you know who the last to leave? Were the Christians. In fact, some Christians never left. They remained in New Orleans. They built works in, of mercy, and, and they built churches, and they continued to minister to the people of New Orleans. Christians are often the first in and the last out if they ever leave at all. Mercy is not just a feeling, it's an action. It is compassion and action. It's putting the love of Jesus Christ on display in your heart for all to see and be drawn to Christ. When we're missing mercy in our hearts, it's probably because we're worshiping ourselves rather than Christ. The second beatitude speaks to that, that, that beatitude of having uh, a pure heart, a uh, the, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, we, it, it goes back to, to verse four. Blessed are those that mourn. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about mourning over our sin and mourning over the impact of our sin on others, right? Our, we never sin in a vacuum. We, when we sin, it impacts others all around us. Well, when we mourn over sin, we're recognizing that we're not pure in heart. And yet Jesus calls his disciples 
to that place, to a place that Dan Doriani says is, is, un, is a search for uncompromised intimacy with Jesus Christ, that the person that is pure in heart is no double-minded person, that purity of heart signifies simplicity rather than duplicity. It is a resolve to live without compromise. The pure in heart do good, not for a personal reward, but because they love beauty and holiness. We are not naturally pure in heart, are we? And even though we know we need purity of heart, we're not always sure about how to go about it. So one of our, our first um, go-tos might be, well, let me just grab a hold of theological precision. If I know everything there is to know about God, then surely I will then be pure in heart. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, when he was leaving Dallas Theological Seminary, he said, we've done a great job of teaching our students about God, but a very poor job of teaching them of God. We've connected them to knowledge about God, but we have not, not connected them to the knowledge of God's heart. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We, we value often theological precision over people. Listen, when someone asked Jesus what the, the greatest commandment was, he didn't say to be theologically precise, did he? He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, to be sure, understanding rightly who God is is a part of loving him. And that helps us to do that. But if our goal is theological precision rather than loving God well, then we've missed the boat. That's moving way over here in this direction. And legalism and pride and arrogance grows out of that type of an attitude. The other end of that is to say, oh, we, we can never uh, be pure in heart. We can never have that theological precision. And, and I don't like those guys anyway because Christians don't love me well. So I'm just going to go over here and we throw off everything and, uh, and we just, it's, it's an anything goes kind of attitude. Uh, you know, if that's religion, then this is irreligion. If that's morality, then this is immorality. Or moralism, then this is immoralism, rather. So, you know, there's these two extremes. But both of those are far, far from God because both of those are centered on self. And purity of heart isn't some sort of a, a balance between the two. We're not seeking a balance point here. To be pure in heart is something altogether different. It's to have an uncompromised heart for Jesus Christ and Christ alone. It's to love God as he truly has called us to, to love him. The pure in heart want Christ above all else, and they let Christ direct who they are and how they live their lives. In 2012, there was a cross-country race, and um, a, a Kenyan runner, Matai, was, was out distancing his opponents and he was gonna win the race. Uh, the race was in southern Spain and, and Mutai didn't speak Spanish. He didn't understand the, the signage and he thought the race was over. He thought he had won. He thought it was done. And so he stopped several yards from the finish line. Well, there was a Spanish runner behind him, Ivan Fernandez. And Ivan Fernandez comes up to Mutai and he pushes him towards the, the, the finish line. He's saying, no, you, you gotta go, you gotta go. He's saying it's Spanish, I don't speak Spanish. So I don't, tell you, I don't know exactly what he said, but, uh, but the Kenyan didn't know either. And so the Kenyan is pushing back. And, and finally, Matai just pushes him heavily across the finish line so that the Kenyan won the race. And the journalists were asking uh, Fernandez afterwards, why did you do that? You could have won the race. 
And he said, where would be the, the glory in that kind of a medal? But you, but you let Matai win. Well, Matai was going to win anyway. But, but you could have had to win. And Matai's, or Fernandez's final comment was, what would my mother have thought of that? What would my mother have thought of that? You see, Matai's mother had, had poured values into Matai, Matai, or not Matai, into Fernandez. And Fernandez's actions were, were related to the values that his mother had given him. Who, who builds values into your life? The, for the one that is pure in heart, his life, the way he loves and the way he lives, the way he thrives, the way he thinks, the way he goes, the way he gives, all of that, all of that is fed into his life and led and dictated by Jesus Christ. It's Christ taking you forward in a life that's built on him. Who speaks into that in your world? Eugene Peterson said that to follow Jesus implies that we enter a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. When it comes to the pure in heart, what's on display for you? One of the ways that is seen most vividly in the last couple of years is in the area of peacemaking. As much as any of these, this one is in short supply. We're more easily offended than any time in my life. We argue at the drop of a hat and we argue over absolutely anything. We throw away, we throw away relationships with no thought whatsoever. Peacemaking is in short supply, which is quite surprising because for the Christian, at any rate, being a peacemaker is something that Christ has, has given to us as a very, very, very high value. Yet we argue. Got a close friend that's, that's not a believer. She doesn't want to become a believer. You know why? Because in her view and in her experience, Christians are just mean. And her experience bears that out. And all Christians are not mean, of course. You're not. None of you guys. But for this, for this particular woman, her experience tells her that Christians are mean. We argue over anything. Even within the same tribe. Same denomination, same church. Republicans are fussing at other Republicans because Republicans aren't Republican enough and Democrats aren't Democrat enough. And, and if, you're, if you're someone that, that thinks everyone ought to wear a mask, you're arguing with people that think no one should wear a mask and you're arguing with, with those that wear a mask part-time and we've got races arguing with races all over again and then even more and more and more and, and then arguing with those of the same race that aren't arguing enough. We argue over arguing. And yet in, in Romans 12, Paul says as much as is possible, as much as is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Christ has given us a different way of living. And this flows out of a hunger and thirst for righteousness 
It flows out of a heart of mercy. It flows out of a, a pure in heart type of individual. That as much as possible, we want to live at peace with all men. Just as Christians were the first in and the, the last out with plagues and hurricanes, if we're living in light of meekness, from verse five, blessed are the meek for they, blessed are the meek for they shall. There's a, yeah, inherit the earth. I thought that, but I thought, no, there's wrong. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. If we're living in light of that meekness that Christ has, has called us to, then peacemaking becomes a natural outflow of that. Listen, the meek is a, is a person that is, is not a wimp. They're incredibly strong. But their strength is in Jesus Christ and not in their own rightness. And when our, peace is in, when our, when our meekness and our, 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 our peace is in Jesus Christ, then we can give that away to others. We don't have to prove who we are. How do we do that? Well, the meek doesn't stand on their own accomplishments. They don't have to fight for their own glory or their own idols. We do it through prayer. When, you, when you're in a relationship with someone and there's, the arguments just want to happen, listen, you don't have to enter into that. You don't. You can just pray for them. And I don't mean the prayer that says, oh, Lord God, make them see the error of their ways and they would be right and think like I think. <laughs> That's our first go-to, Right? Lord, make them like me. Perish the thought. How about, Lord, would you bless them? Lord, would you pour out peace and grace and mercy on them? Would they know ever more deeply the joy and the grace and the mercy and the peace of a relationship with you? As you begin to pray for that individual in that way, then your whole relationships change. You no longer have to to earn a, 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 a a right standing through argument. How do we do that? Well, we do it through majoring on majors and minoring on minors. Some things just aren't worth arguing over, so just let them go. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Be quick to listen, and listen long. Without, without thinking, you have to say anything in return. Just listen. In Proverbs 15, we read that a gentle answer turns away wrath. In Proverbs 26, we read that without wood, a fire goes out. So you just quit putting wood on the fire and it just goes out. My friends, be careful with your words. Recently, uh, one of my children um, called and uh, texted when I didn't answer the phone and wanted to know how they were supposed to drive on this ice. And I responded with, no one can drive on ice. That is an accurate statement, but it was the wrong statement. It did not work anything well. So, you know, after I I dug myself out of the wounds I had created and the pain that I'd caused, you know, we we were able to, to get someplace. Be careful with your words. Though they might be accurate, they might not be kind. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the the peacemakers. To the non-Christian, maybe you're here this morning, you're listening, and and you think again that the way you just don't know a lot of Christians that act with mercy. 
that act with a pure heart that really want to make peace with you. And I'm sorry. Frankly, I don't see that either. But Jesus Christ hasn't called you. He hasn't called you to, to look at other Christians and see him. That would be great if that happens. And, and you will know the love of Christ if, if individuals are giving you the love of Christ. You'll see that. But don't wait for what you see in other Christians. Christ has called you to look on him, to look on him and be forgiven. Look on Christ. Christ has given us these beatitudes because they reflect him. He is one that has given mercy. He is one that is pure in heart. And he is one that has made the greatest peace that we need. Men are at enmity with God. We're in a rough relationship with God. We're in a hostile relationship with God. And Jesus Christ has taken away that hostility, taken it upon himself that we all might have peace with him forever. So to my non-Christian friends, I would just call you to look on Christ and to follow him and know the hope of heaven from him. To my, my Christian friends, I, I would call you to, to look at the heart Look at your heart and see what's on display. If your heart is a display window, what do people see? The same mercy that God gave you in the beginning when you first came to him, he continues to pour out to you. He continues to call you to be pure in heart and by his grace makes you purer and purer and purer in heart as every day goes by. And he continues to build that peace up between the two of you. The love of God lived out through mercy and pure of heart displays who Jesus Christ is. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, as we pray together, we pray, Lord, that you would be revealed in our lives. Father, I pray that you would transform us. Father, that you would make us men and women a church of mercy. Father, a church that is, um, that is pure in heart. A church full of peacemakers. A church full of merciful people. So much so, Father, that if we were to disappear tomorrow, that the city would miss us. Father, I pray that when people think of us as individuals, as a church, they would marvel at your greatness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.